abides. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for this tremendous privilege, this honor, this opportunity to gather together to fellowship in your Son's good name, to dine on the very bread of life so that we may understand and have full knowledge of truth that sets us free, Father. Thank you for always being patient with us as we arrive um, at said knowledge, as we continue to pursue it. Father, we're so grateful for time itself, life itself, and the ability just to enjoy one another's company uh, in the unity of the faith. Father, we pray for those in the congregation that are ill, that can't be with us this evening, and we pray also for those still lost in this world. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt against us and to make an evening like this even a reality. We do just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, this evening's message title is The Power of Deception. I'd like to read to you an email I received after Sunday's Mother's Day special message. This was an email I received from an individual, uh, unsolicited. Uh, it says, Good afternoon, Pastor. I'm quoting this verbatim. Good afternoon, Pastor. Your message today touched upon my soul. Like you, my thoughts about bringing children into this messy world was a bit misguided. I often think about how excited thrilled and happy people are when someone they know has a baby and my question is always why this world is so messed up a family structure is in the sewer and liberalism it seems has just about taken over what kind of world will these children inherit so why would anyone want to bring a child into that what you said today just opened my eyes it may be the devil's world, but it's his perfect plan. It really did make me stop in my tracks and realize that, boy, that I have it all wrong. Thank you for opening my eyes and helping me realize how wrong I was. We sometimes get so wrapped up in the world as it is that we, or at least I, forget that he really does have it all under control and to just trust and have faith in the only one that really does matter. Thank you so much for your wonderful teaching and for helping me see the truth in his grace, a member of North Christian Church. And this individual was here on Sunday. I received similar feedback from several women, actually. Several women. Uh, and interestingly enough, the emphasis was on their eyes being opened to this same one particular point. They all had a similar revelation, let's call it, that was that they had misplaced one of God's greatest grace gifts in their souls. From what I gather from those who gave me feedback, this misguidance, as the person stated, was the result of listening to the incessant lies of the world the result of listening to incessant lies in the world. And therein lies the genesis of this evening's message. 
the power of deception. So let's begin with the first key theme of this lesson up here on the board, satanic deception. We must always remember that Satan is a master of deception, a master of deception. The most effective deceptions are the least obvious. That's what makes them deceptive. The most effective deceptions are the least obvious. And only the Word of God is able to shine light on them to reveal their insidiousness. Only the Word of God is able to shine light on them to reveal their insidiousness. That is what Sunday's message, for example, was filled with, the Word. And that's where that gratitude came from. It was from hearing the Word, having the Word implanted. And so Sunday's message really was filled with the Word of God. And for many of you, as it turns out, it was an eye-opening experience because it had been a while, apparently, since you had the truth set before you about something as fundamental to life itself as motherhood. The Apostle John, the so-called Apostle of Love, had a lot to say about deception and the point on the board. Go to Revelation 12. Verse 9, Revelation 12, verse 9. This gentleman, this so-called apostle of love, had a lot to say about deception and the point on the board. Revelation 12, verse 9. Again, the message title is The Power of Deception. And think about how people are even misled uh, in something or misguided in something as fundamental as motherhood. Revelation 12, verse 9, And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Satan, who deceives the whole world. Go to John 8, 44. John 8, 44. <clears throat> Satan deceives the whole world. How does he do it? John 8, 44. You see, this is what I love about Holy Scripture. It's unavoidable. It's just clearly stated. John 8, 44. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He, Satan, was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Again, the point on the board, satanic deception, we must always remember that Satan is a master of deception. The most effective deceptions are the least obvious. Only the word of God is able to shine light on them to reveal their insidiousness. John writes elsewhere. Go to 1 John 3, 7. 1 John 3, 7. Same apostle. 1 John 3, verse 7. Satan is a master deceiver. 1 John 3, 7. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. Make sure no one deceives you. 
The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And so you also see there in close proximity the idea of deception. Children do not be deceived, but also in close proximity is love. And so what John's really getting at is do not be deceived so that you miss out, if you would, or that love itself is affected somehow in your soul. Of course, John wasn't the only apostle to understand the deceptions of Satan, but he tended to associate satanic deception with its effect on love itself. That's the point I just made. And particularly the bond it provides in the unity of the faith. Go to 2 Corinthians 11.14. 2 Corinthians 11:14. And so the apostles knew this, and they knew the effects, the power of deception to even uh, affect love or our um, experience with it in time. 2 Corinthians 11:14. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Why does he do that? Because he's a deceiver. Deceivers disguise themselves. That's what makes them deceivers. Otherwise, they'd just be blatant opposition. Satan's not interested in that. He's smarter than that, as are his agents, as we see in verse 15. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Again, the first key principle this evening is one that we're pulling from Sunday morning's Mother's Day special. Up here on the board, satanic deception. We must always remember that Satan is a master of deception. The most effective deceptions are the least obvious. That's why a lot of times, like some folks, several folks on Sunday were caught, are caught off guard. Because you don't realize that you've been deceived. That's what a deception is. You've been deceived. And it takes the Word of God to open your eyes. And as we've learned previously, how does God uh, open or enlighten the eyes of our hearts? We read the Word of God. And that's how we understand the deceptions of our enemies. And that's how we have light shined on them so that we can be delivered from them. Even, especially when we're not aware of the fact that we're ensnared in them. The most effective deceptions are the least obvious. That's how Satan wants it to be. And only the Word of God is able to shine light on them to reveal their insidiousness. We all need to read that last sentence to ourselves over and over again. Only the Word of God is able to deliver us. Only the Word of God. Let me simplify it for you up here on the board. Deliverance from deception, only the Word of God is able to shine light on deception. We are not shrewd enough to see it by ourselves. That's the problem. We're not shrewd enough without the Word of God, without 
this imparted to our souls. We are unable to see the deceptions. This is the very best um, we have in terms of putting on the full armor. That's what Ephesians 6 is all about, right? Put on the full armor of God. What does that mean? This. Take in the word of God. In duo, put on Christ Jesus. Why? So that you are not deceived. Again, only the word is able to shine light on deception. We are not shrewd enough to see it by ourselves. And I was thinking about a, a useful analogy. If you wear eyeglasses like I do, uh, you'll know what I mean here. Have you ever been watching something and then remember you forgot to put your glasses on? <laughs> and then when you do it, it's like, whoa, you actually see things way clearer. Uh, that's what the Word of God does for us. It gives us spiritual eyesight to see things clearly for what they truly are. And unless you're seeing clearly, fair enough, you won't have the right perspective, right? Unless you see things clearly, you won't have the right perspective. And you know if you lack perspective, nothing makes sense anymore. Wisdom itself is based on having divine viewpoint, the right perspective on things. So as the Spirit's been teaching us up here on the board, Perspective is everything. If you lack it, you lack divine viewpoint. If you're, quote, standing on your head, the world is upside down to you, making it really hard to make any sense of it. Again, if you lack perspective, you lack divine viewpoint. If, you're every, if everything's upside down, it's hard to make sense of anything. Fair enough? And the only way you can right the ship, so to speak, is with the Word of God. Because the world continues to lie to you. Remember, who's the god of this world? Satan is. So what's he going to continue to do? He's going to continue to produce fruit after his own nature, which we just read from Jesus himself, is a liar. And he's the father of lies. And there is no truth in him. And so if we go to the world for more perspective, if we go to the world for wisdom, the world's just going to keep us padded in that situation and keep us from straying outside of worldview. And that's the problem, because that's not divine perspective. So you cannot go to the world. You have to go to the Word. And that's what the, bio, that's what the Spirit's been saying over and over, specifically over the last probably 6 to 12 months. Read your Bible, read your Bible. Throw out the other stuff even. Make the Bible your priority. So the problem is that if those around you are also, quote, standing on their heads, you all begin to agree collectively with the wrong perspective. Yep, looks like a tree to me. Yep, looks like this way to me. And by the way, if you stand on your head, you know right is left and left is right. So everything's backwards. Up is down, down is up, right? You know that, I hope. Stand on your head, figure it out. Everything's reversed if you stand on your head. So there you go. Wrong perspective. But everybody collectively be agrees from the world. But everything's literally the opposite. The truth is a lie. The lie is a truth. And woe to that person. So says Holy Scripture. But you only know that. You only say woe if you actually receive the word implanted. And by the way, this is wisdom you are receiving, my friends. 
This is wisdom. And it's in keeping with Sunday's message. Go to Proverbs 12.15. Let me give you a little more on that. Proverbs 12.15. Because sadly, even the idea of motherhood has slipped into something completely ungodly. Not in every situation, but on average, it seems, in our own beloved country. Motherhood is not what it should be. It's not biblically understood anymore, it seems. Proverbs 12.15 will help explain this. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Well, you know what? A fool stands on his head and says, this is the right perspective. And that's right, and this is left. And that's up, and this is down. And to him, it makes perfect sense. And he looks at his friend who's standing on his head, because he has no divine perspective, and they say, yeah, you're right. Go to Proverbs 14.7. What about that? What happens when you're in the company of a fool? Proverbs 14.7. I didn't say this. This is wisdom speaking, right? Leave the presence of a fool, or you will not discern words of knowledge. Leave the presence of a fool, or you will not discern words of knowledge. Any questions? Everything's upside down backwards to you because you're standing on your heads. Go to Proverbs uh, 13.20. Proverbs 13.20. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. That's the ship of fools phenomenon. That's the ship of fools. Of course everybody's agreeing because they're all standing on their head. Again, perspective is everything up here on the board. If you lack it, you lack divine viewpoint. If you're standing on your head, the world is upside down to you, making it really hard to make sense of any of it. For example, and um, yeah, this evening might get a little gritty for some of you. It shouldn't um, because you know my heart in the matter, and you know I'm just trying to make some principles known, and these are the Spirit's lessons after all. Again, for example, the world says that today children are a burden. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Children are a burden, not a blessing. And often not worth taking on. Or marriage is nothing more than a piece of paper, not a blessing. Or that authority is to be challenged whenever you disagree with it, not a blessing from God himself. These, I was thinking about it, these three lies alone have eroded this great country of ours. If we even had any of them in, in, in spades, so to speak, in the first place. But if you look at the degradation of our own country, these three lies alone are root causes of it. Children are a burden, not a blessing. Marriage is not a blessing, but maybe a contract. Something that you can break and then sign again and break and then sign again and throw the other one out. And if, when some, if one party's not, you just get lawyers involved. That's, that's not a blessing, though. Or how about authority orientation? Throw that out. Authority's not a blessing from God. The Bible must be wrong. Because the Bible says all, all authority is from God. So these three lies alone have eroded the United States of America. The only remedy to this countrywide degradation is the Word of God. 
I'm not in the position to say that we're all doomed and doomed and doomed like some people like to say. I mean, I know threads of that have come out of my mouth, um, but there's nothing more powerful than God or his word. And if miraculously the entire United States turned on its heel, picked up their Bible and started reading and got delivered and got saved, etc., then we wouldn't have these problems. At least they would mitigate. So the only remedy to this countrywide degradation is the word of God. And frankly, it would be the same way, only on a larger scale, that the truth healed the hearts of many in this very congregation on Sunday. It would be the same pattern that would be used. The word of God delivers. I was thinking about that. A country, after all, is nothing more than a collective of individuals, right? Well, the word works its miracles inside the souls of individuals. So our job, especially when we start talking about the United States and this country or that country and all this stuff, our job isn't necessarily to fight the symptoms of the collective, but rather the root cause. Our job isn't necessarily to fight the symptoms of the collective, but rather the root cause. It's why I'm not a huge proponent of a guy like me getting involved in political warfare. To me, it's the voters that count, not the politicians. Everybody makes all these big shadoo about the politicians. It's the voters that count. It's the individuals that I care about. I mean, what does it matter if a politician pushes a pro-abortion or anti-family or anti-authority agenda if it's individuals who voted him or her into office? It's the individuals. They, they represent the individuals in a democracy. That's what we live in. That's one person. There are thousands, maybe millions, that put that person into office. I think we have a much bigger problem on the scale. And it's called the individuals, not the politician. They're just a symptom. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand that it's the voters who are the problem. I remember writing a blog titled, Why Blame the Marionettes, that addressed this very issue. But you see... One of Satan's greatest achievements is convincing the world that something as profoundly critical to our Creator, namely personal responsibility, isn't real. That's one of the greatest achievements of Satan. I'm convinced of this. Personal responsibility isn't real. That's one of Satan's greatest achievements. And we might call it out this way. This is the lie, you know, that everyone's a victim lie. Everybody's a victim. Everyone's a victim. Satan has done a great job at convincing the world that personal responsibility is a lie. What rightly ought to be attributed to individuals is now spread across communities. Sort of buffers the individual, doesn't it? That's not your fault. You're a product of your environment. You're a jackass because your father was a jackass. So don't even worry about it. You're not responsible for being a jackass. 
blame your father. Satan's done a great job of convincing the world that personal responsibility is a lie, basically. That it doesn't exist. What rightly ought to be attributed to individuals is now spread across communities. Individuals are no longer to blame. Sin itself is eluded or evaded. Sin itself as a result. I mean, how can sin... Who, who, who does God attribute sin to then? If not the individual. He sends individuals to hell, right? He judges individuals. He, just, he judges the collective, but that's a different story. Some of you by now may be saying, you got all that from Sunday's rather beautiful Mother's Day message? I did. I absolutely did. As I mentioned earlier, my job is to dig into the root cause of things, not just grumble about the symptoms. That's what I see even a lot of Christians doing. They spend an awful lot of time grumbling about politicians and grumbling about symptoms and grumbling about society and grumbling about... And hey, listen, we all complain about things that we see as um, you know, Bible-believing Christians. Um, but that's not the root cause. The root cause is the individual. So let me give you a perfect example. And this is where it's going to get a little gritty. And I'm not going to apologize, but I hope everyone knows my heart by now. I'm not picking on any one group of individuals. It's just the one that the Spirit brought out. Okay? And you can blame Him. So here's a perfect example of what the Spirit's getting at in terms of personal responsibility and and, uh, what have you. While Satan says to the drunk, Make sure you buy some Advil with that bottle of booze so that you don't have to suffer the consequences. Oh, and if you run somebody over because you're drunk driving, don't worry about it. It's a disease. You couldn't control it. God says, you're a drunk. You need to stop. Oh, and I'm holding you personally responsible for your decisions. That's the difference. Do you know how unpopular that is, what I just said? But that's what the Bible says. You're a drunk, you need to stop, and I hold you responsible for your decisions. But you see, that second statement is no longer popular, is it? That's because it's no longer popular to actually call a sin a sin. That's the deception. It's no longer popular to actually call a sin a sin. I mean, how do you call it a sin if no one is actually personally responsible for it, even? And if you press the issue, the community will simply take responsibility for it, saying something like, it's not their fault they drink so much. They had a rough life. It's not their fault they drink so much. They had a rough life. Um, I'm going to give you, and before I read it, I don't want you to think that I'm for this article or against this article. I'm just going to read you something as food for thought, as an alternative viewpoint, even coming from 
the scientific realm. Okay? It's titled, The Baldwin Research Institute is the uh, source. The Baldwin Research Institute. It's titled, Alcoholism is Not a Disease. That's the title of the article. So let me read you a, uh, an excerpt from this title, uh, from this article. In 1976, the writer Ivan Illich warned in the book, Limits to Medicine, that the medical establishment has become a major threat to health. At the time, he was dismissed as a maverick, but a quarter of a century later, even the medical establishment is prepared to admit that he may well be right. Anthony Brown, April 14, 2002. History and science have shown us that the existence of the disease of alcoholism is pure speculation. Just saying alcoholism is a disease doesn't make it true. Nevertheless, medical professionals in American culture enthusiastically embraced the disease concept and quickly applied it to every possible behavior from alcohol abuse to compulsive lecturing and nail biting. The disease concept is a panacea for many failing medical institutions and pharmaceutical companies, adding billions of dollars to the industry and leading to a prompt evolution of pop psychology. Research has shown that alcoholism is a choice, not a disease, and stripping alcohol abusers of their choice by applying the disease concept is a threat to the health of the individual. The disease concept oozes into every crevice of our society, perpetuating harmful misinformation that hurts the very people it was intended to help. Remarkably, the assumptions of a few were accepted as fact by the medical profession, devoid of any scientific study or supporting evidence. And soon after, the disease concept was accepted by the general public. With this said, visiting the history of the disease concept gives us all a better understanding of how and why all of this happened. The disease concept originated in the 1800s with a fellow by the name of Dr. Benjamin Rush. He believed those who drank too much alcohol were diseased, and he used the idea to promote his prohibitionist political platform. And by the way, he also believed that dishonesty, political dissension, and being of African-American descent were diseases. If you want the article, the whole full article, it's very long, um, email me and I'll send it to you. And again, I just I want to stress that I'm not saying I agree or disagree. That's not my point with the findings of the Baldwin Research Institute, just giving you food for thought and reminding you that the Bible labels drunkenness a sin. My point is simple. Regarding any sin, if anyone can show me Holy Scripture that says there's an excuse for sin, then I'll teach it. If you can show me in the Bible where it says there's an excuse for sin, I'll teach it. Until then, I'm going to stick with God's viewpoint of sin, which looks like this, by the way. God says, own it. God says, own it. 
Sin is accounted to individuals. If you sin, it's your sin, not anyone else's. If you miss out on God's blessings as a result, it's your fault, not anyone else's. For example, not your dysfunctional families. That seems to be most people's favorite. Oh, I had a rough life. Big deal. Who hasn't? You're a jerk because you're a jerk. You sin because you like to sin. It's that simple. Own it. So says the Word of God. Own it. And then you'll be on the road to recovery. Stop calling your problems diseases. And then you'll be on the road to recovery. God says, own it. Sin is accounted to individuals. If you sin, it's your sin, not anyone else's. If you miss out on God's blessings as a result, it's your fault, not anyone else's. And stop blaming your families. What, when, while God says, here's the thing, while God says, own it, Satan says, it's not your fault. Let someone else own it. Or better yet, let a phantom entity own it. Yeah, there are phantoms among us. You don't have to own it. Let some phantom entity own it. Up here on the board. The phantom owner of sin. Sin is accounted to individuals, so says Holy Scripture. When a sinner says, it's not my fault I sin, they are attempting to evade personal responsibility by placing it on a phantom owner. For example, society, parents, abusers, etc., etc. Whatever you want to use as your excuse of the day. It's a phantom because God says it's your sin. God says you're responsible for all your sin. Period. The world says no. The world says you are not personally responsible. And if you've been paying attention to society at all, I don't know how many probably pop up in a day. There are more disorders and diseases to allow people to sidestep personal responsibility. I don't know what the number is, but it seems astronomical. It just keeps going like this. The number of them just keeps going up and to the right. More and more and more. And I'm not saying they're not real diseases, but you get the point. Nail biting? Seriously? Seriously? Sin is accounted to individuals, so says Holy Spirit. If you can come up with scripture that says differently, hey, here we go. Let's teach it. But God doesn't, set, God doesn't account or hold phantoms accountable for sin. <laughs> Jesus Christ didn't die on a cross for phantoms. He died for you and I, for sinners, right? The world doesn't want you to know that. Satan of all creatures does not want you to know that. Of course, we do, but you know what I'm saying. Sin is accounted to individuals, so says Holy Scripture. When a sinner says, it's not my fault I sin, they are attempting to evade personal responsibility by placing it on a phantom owner. Society, parents, abuse, etc. This is the root of so many symptoms our great country is plagued with nowadays. Remember the three I mentioned earlier? Family, marriage, and authority orientation? While Satan's politicians create all the white noise to keep the masses distracted from the truth, 
the Holy Spirit is pointing out to those with ears to hear, like you and I, what the root causes are. You see, turn on CNN or Fox or whatever, I don't know, whoever's yakking about Trump or whoever nowadays. It's just white noise. They're all symptoms. They're just beating the tar out of each other. And they're beating each other up over symptoms. It's just white noise. That's why I don't, personally, I don't watch, I don't watch uh, news anymore. You can't, get, you can't get the real deal anymore. I'll just go to the Bible. Root causes. The root cause for evil is lack of good. Duh. But you'd think that was like a cryptic thing. Like you'd need a cryptograph. Some kind of calculator to decode it. The way the world is. The root cause of evil is a lack of good. Better yet, the root cause is the rejection of good. Christ, the good shepherd. Those without him are rudderless. That came up on last week at least. Ephesians 4, 14 to 16. Luke 20, 21 to 26. Go to Ephesians 4, 14. This is the root cause. The root cause is a lack of good. The root cause is a lack of Christ, his mind, his thinking, his word. Ship of fools syndrome. Call it what you will. Don't worry about personal responsibility. You, you don't account it to me. I won't account it to you. We'll just go forward like that. As a ship of fools standing on our heads. Ephesians 4.14 As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery. We're going to see that word again before the night's end. By the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. Craftiness, trickery, deceitful scheming but speaking the truth in love we ought to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head even christ from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love and there's that connection between deception and love again i repeat only the word is able to deliver us from the deceptions of the devil we are not shrewd enough. We cannot do it on our own. We have to have the Word of God. We have to have divine viewpoint imparted to us. We have to have divine wisdom imparted to us. Only the Word is able to deliver us from the deceptions of the devil. We see this time and again with Jesus himself as he used divine viewpoint to thwart the lies of satanic agencies. I mean, if there was anybody that was... Uh, if there was anyone ever that was targeted to be tripped up with craftiness and trickery and deception, it was Jesus. The people who despised him were constantly trying to trip him up. And we're going to look at that in a moment. Go to Luke 20, verse 21. He's a perfect example. And it's a, and it's a wonderful pattern for us to consider uh, in our own lives. Luke 20, verse 21 They questioned him. Here we go, right? They questioned him. Teacher, we know that you speak and teach correctly, and you are not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. Slithering liars. You see what's going on, right? They're, they're prepping him. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But what did, how, what did he say? He's, look at But he detected their trickery. 
<laughs> Are you serious with this? You're going to try to butter me up first. Oh, good teacher. We know you're up for good things. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He detected their trickery and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. And he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were unable to catch him in a saying in the presence of the people. And being amazed at his answer, they became silent. Here's the living word. Do you see what he did? He detected their trickery. How do you ever expect to detect trickery if you don't have the word? That's how it's done. You want to see behind the curtain? Take in the word of God. You want to live in the matrix? Don't. He detected their trickery. It's the same strategy. Now, here we go again with the grittiness, but here's the example. It's the same strategy that pro-abortionists use to advocate for child murder. They'll say, Oh, dear Bible-thumping Christian, we know how much you love life. So what about the life of the mother who was raped in college? Or what about the poor mentally challenged girl who was raped by her uncle? Our job is to see behind the curtain, past the white noise, past the trickery. That's what Jesus did. And look for Satan's fingerprints. They are all over such dialogues. The strategy is performed under the same pattern that satanic agents have always used. Attempt to open the door to dialogue with a little flattery and or conciliatory speech. I agree with you. And by the way, your hair looks nice today. And aren't you just a studious pastor? Aren't you just a swell rabbi, oh Jesus? Get in there, and then once at the table, slam you with loaded questions. But here's the thing. Loaded question or not, the truth is always right. It may be distasteful to the human flesh. You might, you might sympathize with the mentally challenged girl who was raped by her uncle and say, what the heck? Is that your place? to compound a wrong with another wrong? You're going to take something that was evil to start with and then double it up with murder? That's your, that's your answer to a bad situation? Let's make it worse. Let's take something God-ordained and kill it. Is that the answer? The Word of God says... Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? With good. Murder is what? Not good. Can we agree? Okay, so why in the world would that ever even enter our minds as an option? You see, that's a loaded question. So, the truth is always right. It doesn't matter what kind of cockamamie satanic type lawyering you can come up with to so-called challenge the authority of Scripture. In the case of, say, abortion, if God says killing an innocent life is murder, 
and murder is a sin, then you know what? We ought not do it. <laughs> it's that simple. If God ordained that life in the womb, then so be it. Let him deal with the child's life the way he sees fit. Let me say that again. If God ordained that life in the womb, then so be it. Let him deal with the child's life the way he sees fit. Likewise, in the scene in Luke 20, 21 to 26 regarding paying taxes, if God ordains all authority and his desire is obedience, then we ought to pay our taxes. It may be distasteful to you. May, oh my God, they're blowing it on, you know, do you see the guys with the pointing fingers over there? There's like nine guys staring into a hole and one poor Mexican is digging his butt off. I'm not paying for that. That's your excuse? Double up on evil? That's your response to something that could maybe be evil? Don't hand it over to God like God says. Take it on yourself. Create another form of evil. Show me that in the Bible where there's an excuse for sin and I'll teach it. But the last time I checked, there is no excuse. If God holds you personally responsible, then you know what? You're personally responsible. If he says, this is my desire and you disobey, it is a sin. I mean, it may not be popular, but it's true. Right? Neither one of these conclusions, again, may be popular, but you know what? They are righteous, and that is what counts. Again, the point on the board we're getting at, root causes. The root cause for evil is a lack of good. Better yet, the root cause is rejection of good. Christ, the good shepherd... Those without him are rudderless. We just looked at those two scriptures. Okay, before we close, let's get back to our two instigating principles this evening. The first one was this. And again, this came out of, this was precipitated from a wonderful message on, on Sunday. So much positive feedback on the message. It was so well received, which is awesome. But the Spirit has something else to say. Why was it awesome? It was awesome because people were delivered. From what? Satanic deception. We must always remember that Satan is a master of deception. The most effective deceptions are the least obvious. Only the Word of God is able to shine light on them to reveal their insidiousness. And the second key principle was perspective is everything. If you lack it, you lack divine viewpoint. If you're standing on your head, the world is upside down to you, making it really hard to make any sense of it. All of this from a wonderful Mother's Day special message. Yep. And frankly, I can't imagine why any of you would be surprised. I'm not. The reason why folks that shared their thoughts with me after the message were so touched by it was because their eyesight had been going bad and they didn't even know it. Their eyesight had been going bad and they didn't even know it. Each of them had tremendous gratitude for having the eyes of their hearts enlightened. 
to borrow from Ephesians 1.18. And what does that? This. This is what enlightens our eyes. That's why Holy Scripture on the blessing of children, the blessing of motherhood, the blessing of parenthood, the blessing of obedience to parents, the blessing to all God-given authority, all those things right here. And when we hear them, we have the power of the Word linked with the power of God, the Holy Spirit, to open the eyes of our hearts, to enlighten us. And that is a fantastic miracle because we cannot do that on our own. We are incapable of seeing such things on our own, and we are going to get zero help from the world because they're all standing on their heads. So I hope you see how all of these lessons dovetail perfectly together. With that said, I just want to grab a couple of highlights from Sunday's message, um, a.k.a. Let's grab some truth first. This is from Sunday's message. Just a bit of review before I close. James 1.17, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. From the dawn of time, children have been considered a blessing. Go to Psalm 127.3. Psalm 127.3. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. Who ordains children? God does. Who ordains life? God does. Psalm 127.3. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Children are a gift of the... I'm not going to go out and say they're anything but that because that's what the Holy Bible says. Up here on the board. This also came out on the Mother's Day special. Mothers are a gift from God. Proverbs 31, 28, 29. Her children rise up and bless her. Her husband also, and he praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. On Sunday, we were reminded of the intimacy in which God sees family and children especially. 1 John 3, 1 here on the board. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God. Children of God. The very structure of our relationship with God is familial, is one of family. Just think about that. That's not a mistake. It's not like he designed those who are cast in his image not to have families because he did. He said, go be fruitful and what? Multiply. God loves families. <laughs> How do we know? We're in his family. And he loves us. <laughs> See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God? And such we are. For this reason the world does not know us because it did not know him. Up here on the board. 1 John 4, 4. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. In other words, nice friendly reminder. Um, if God ordains life, God ordains children, let us stop questioning their existence. Let us, instead of um, killing them, let us defend them. Let us give people the word of God. What does God have to say 
about such things, about children. Children are a blessing. End of story. They're not a bur- they might be burdensome in the sense of financial or time or energy like that. That's not the point. God ordained life. It's not ours. It's not our choice to extinguish it. God chooses individuals even for certain purposes because he knows that his power can accomplish anything. That's 1 John 4, 4. His power can accomplish anything. The only thing a human can do, technically, is be arrogant and reject his power system. Hence, God looks for humble people to do his work. He may even use something like a pregnancy to humble a person. Only God knows. Only God knows. But here's what we know from Scripture. God chose Mary for a reason. Enough said. God has chosen every mother for a reason. Enough said. That was the gist of Sunday's message, which was the, on the coattails of our final message on who will separate us from the love of Christ, part 10 which, for the sake of connective tissue, followed how God enlightens the eyes of our hearts. And so what I want you to see in closing, really, is that all of these lessons, including this evening's, the one titled The Power of Deception, they're all connected. And in God's perfect timing, and His perfect way, He's laid them out as a curriculum for us. And who knows, maybe, just maybe Sunday's message would have been received differently by some had they not gotten three or four lessons on uh, how God enlightens the eyes of our hearts and another ten on who will separate us from the love of Christ. God only knows. But I know He's perfect. And when He says things like, I need you to obey, I want you, I command you to obey, I need you to accept personal responsibility for sin, I don't want you to buy the lies from the kingdom of darkness that says you don't need to be personally responsible because that thinking keeps you in bondage. It's like the secular expert said um, in that article I read you from. Those that are, the, the medical professions are actually harming the patients. We don't want to get in that game. We don't want to propose doctrines that end up hurting people. We want to tell the truth. Because the truth sets us, what? Free. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the truth that sets us free. And thank you for clearly reminding us through the Word of God what truth is. And also for preparing us to understand and to discover the deception and the lies from the kingdom of darkness that are meant to thwart the kingdom of heaven. Father, we just ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned out to a lost and dying world, Father. It needs these things so desperately. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.